Uh, it's great to be here this morning and uh, bringing the Word of God to us. And it was about this time last year, March 2009, that uh, there was a, about a week of torrential rain. I don't know if you remember this because there have been quite a few rainstorms since, but I remember this particular one because it was the season of rainstorms that I discovered that over the course of time, water was getting into our house and our bedroom. And so I went into the bedroom to pick my cell phone up off the dresser, and my foot went through about two inches of water through the carpet floor, and about an eight-foot-by-eight-foot section of our carpet was just drenched uh, with with rainwater from uh, the outside. Turns out there was a hairline crack, a settling crack uh, on the wall that water had gotten in over time. And so I panicked, of course, because that's my, my nature. I, I panicked. When I, when I stepped in water, it bubbled over my toe. My first response was actually denial. I, I pretended it wasn't there, but as I'm drying my foot, I thought it was ridiculous to ignore it. And so I called my brother. My brother owns a carpet cleaning business in Boca. And uh, he does water restoration, extraction of water, uh, water damage remediation, and things like that. And so I called him up. It's about 10 at night. And, uh, and I said, so what do I have to do here, Clay? Do I, are we talking like towels, you know, put down the towels on the, the thing, put it in a bucket? What am I going to do? He says, no, 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 that's not going to do it. So he comes out 10 o'clock at night with his truck. He extracts all the water from the bedroom, uh, moving all the furniture out of the way. And just about the time I think that he's done, uh, he takes out this knife-looking thing, and he cuts around the side, the corner of the carpet, and pulls the entire carpet in our bedroom, eight-foot section square, uh, back to look for more water. And what else do you suppose my brother was looking for? Mold. Yeah, you guys say that like you're experts. Yeah, anyone ever have a mold problem here in South Florida? Yeah, yeah, that's common. So he was looking for mold, and lo and behold, he found it. Uh, so I don't know how to feel. I wasn't sure how to feel about that at the moment. I guess ignoring it was worse, but he found it. He pulls back the carpet. There's mold on the underside of the carpet. It's along the floor. It's around the tack strip that held the carpet down. It's in the baseboards. It's in the wall. It's, it's a mess. It's a disaster. Our, our furniture was, was partially ruined at the base. And Anyway, he, he extracted the water. He exposed the carpet underneath to find mold. And, and I, as I reflected on that story, this week, I, I realized it's, that in the same way, sin in our lives, like the mold under the carpet, it likes to find these quiet, dark corners. It likes to hide. Sin, it likes to hide in these dark places. And in God, in order to remediate our secret sin situation, he has to expose, he has to search, and then he has to transform that area of our heart. And so a surface cleaning just won't do in some cases. And God doesn't need to use chemicals. He doesn't need to use self-help books. He doesn't need to use Dr. Phil. He uses something quite more unique and amazing, actually, if you think of it. He uses the same tool that he used to create the heavens and the earth. He uses the same tool that created light, that brought light into the darkness, and that tool is his word. He speaks, let there be light, and light shines in the darkness. And so it is by the means of his word that he speaks light into the secret places of our lives. It's my purpose today to challenge you. I'm going to ask you to process, to evaluate. Do you read God's word uh, in such a way as to be changed by it? 
And do you invite him even to do that, to conduct that kind of search in your heart, even to the most secretive corners? And so today we'll look at three different actions of God's Word, three, three actions and activities of God's Word in your life. The first is God gives His Word to expose us, that is, our sin. Like the carpet analogy, He, he pulls back the carpet of our lives so as to see what's hidden, what's dark in, the, in those dark corners. God gives His Word to expose us, and secondly, we'll see that God gives His Word to search us, and thirdly, that God gives His Word to transform us. Uh, if you have a Bible, we'll turn to Exodus chapter 34. And while you're, while you're looking there, I know we're a, a screen church, and so that probably didn't take you long at all, did it? Uh, but while you're turning there, uh, I'll tell you a little background uh, before we jump in. Uh, because we are kind of coming in the middle of the movie here, toward the end of the movie of, of the book of Exodus. And uh, there's a couple things that are important to realize that where we come in the story so far. You'll recall that the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, and God raises up a deliverer named Moses, let my people go, all of that stuff. And he lets his people go, and through the wilderness, God provides for them manna, and, and he leads them out by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, you remember, and he leads them through the Red Sea. Uh, you remember that God gives his Ten Commandments. He says, uh, you, I shall be your God, and, they, uh, and you will be my people. And the first time that Moses gets the Ten Commandments. You'll recall this actually happens twice. We're going to look at the second time that Moses gets these Ten Commandments. The first time that Moses comes down Mount Sinai, he finds Aaron at the, uh, at the uh, urging of the people, has created a golden calf to worship. Remember, he comes down the mountain with these two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them, and he sees this and smashes the Ten Commandments to pieces. Okay, And now we find ourselves in Exodus 34, where now God has graciously and mercifully given him the law again. And so uh, in verse uh, 29, Moses is now up on the mountain. He has received the word of God, and we read this. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. That word shown there, it's keren, it's the Hebrew word, it's, it's light, but it's also used of horns. And the image there is that this, this radiant beam of light coming in the shape of horns off his face, it's, it's, an, it's an image, it's, a, it's an analogy of, to describe the, the glory of Moses' face. Uh, and his face is shining, it says, because he was speaking with God. And now his face, uh, as, he, as he comes with glowing face down the mountain, he comes to deliver that word of God that God spoke to Moses on the mountain. He comes to mediate that word to God's people. And the two tablets of the testimony are in his hand. Those are the Ten Commandments given again. And our first point, as we said, uh, one of the actions of God's word is to expose us, to expose our sin. It says that the skin of his face shone. Why light? What is the image of light? Let's just take a real basic illustration and think of crime activity. Why, why is it that crime, the crime rate increases at night? Well, it's naturally our mischief likes the cover of darkness. Our, our sin, it likes to hide. It likes to be covered in these, in these ways. And so uh, light exposes those secret things. And in the same way, spiritually, sin likes those hidden and secret places like the privacy of a bedroom or the secrecy of a meeting place or the seclusion of a business meeting. It likes those places where we're not known, where we're anonymous and secret. 
And even on the more micro level, if we zoom in on that even further, we see that that sin that we may act on begins at a secret place also. It begins with an impulse of our heart. It begins with a thought. It it begins with me despising a person in my heart. And then I may act on that in the future. And so in the most hidden places, uh, if left unchecked, that, that what began in that quiet place, if it's left undealt with, if that's a word, it is now. It's like that spore of mold. It's like that, that beginning of the sin problem that will increase and take, take, take root. And so God has given uniquely his word in order so that whenever you read it, it will act as though uh, as an exposing force, as a, a, a way of giving you wisdom to identify and see your sin in your heart. Psalm 119, 130, it says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. He's equating light and understanding. He's saying this, this light that exposes, it gives you understanding. It gives you wisdom, the ability. The word of God gives you the ability to identify sin in your life and expose it. We'll continue on in verse 30 of Exodus 34. Verse 30 says this, So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Now, no doubt this was an amazing scene. A guy comes down a mountain. We can even maybe infer he was carrying the stained stone tablets he threw last time. Maybe there's some fear there physically. But I, I just I think that that sells this short. I think that this fear is something far more profound, because the whole purpose, the whole intent of this passage is God has given His word, written it with His own finger on these tablets of stone, and sent it with Moses, His mediator. And so the skin of His face glows, and their fear is something quite more profound. They've witnessed plagues on a nation. They've witnessed God leading them out with the, uh, with the fire, a pillar of fire, and they've witnessed the glory of God fall on the tabernacle. They've, they've seen such amazing and fearful things that it is hard to believe that a glowing face in and of itself primarily is what they're afraid of. It's a holy fear, see? It's a, it's a fear and an awe that we read about in Scripture that is giving God the awe and, and worship that He is... He is do, the respect of his word coming. And so they were afraid to go near Moses because the glory that shone on his face represented the glory of God's word that he held in his hand. And that light of his face, it's symbolic. It's, it's telling us that this word is a light in the darkness. It exposes and, and searches, is the second point, our hearts. God's word uh, is given to us in order to search our hearts says they were afraid, and that, that fear was rooted, I believe, deeply, more deeply than their, their physical fear. It was rooted in the, the word of God that Moses brought and the, the fact that they in and, of them, in and of themselves were incapable of keeping the covenant, keeping that law of God uh, without some help. They, they knew that they fell short of this law that Moses brought. That's a lesson, too, that God's word is never merely words, is it? You read these letters and this writing on the screen or in your Bible, and it's never merely words. See, God promises to use His Word in a mighty way by His Holy Spirit. And so uh, we read in Hebrews 4 how He does that. Hebrews 4.12, it won't be on the screen, I don't think, so just 
listen to it. It's Hebrews 4.12. It says, The Word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How does that make you feel? The Word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Psalm 139.23, David is praying, and he teaches us to even pray that God would conduct this kind of search that God would judge the thoughts and intentions of my heart. He says, search me, O God. It's it's the same word search that's in Job, where Job is describing the the job of a miner uh, who goes deep into the earth and excavates and pulls out these precious minerals, and he examines them closely, and he goes to the most remote places of the earth, the deepest, darkest cavern that no one else has seen. He goes there, search me, O God, search that part of me, and know my heart that is examine what you find. Try me, it's synonymous, synonymous with search. Search me, try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So how does the Holy Spirit use His Word in people's lives? It's to search and to try, that is judge, even the most hidden caverns and to sift through our thoughts, to judge our motives and to examine closely the purity of our passions. And if that terrifies you just a little bit, it's good, at least at the level that we're able to sympathize with the Israelites and what they're sensing at this moment. This holy fear is, that's terrifying, guys. God can see my thoughts. God can sift and, and does judge rightly and examine the passions of my heart. The Israelites sense this fear, and so that Moses has to call to them. It says, continuing on, then Moses called to them. See, they're ready to go hide. Moses has to call to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Again, it's by the word. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. See, God commanded Moses on the mountain, and now Moses will command the people as the mediator of God's word. And the great stamp of proof on God's blessing on Moses is that the reflection of God's glory is on his face. When Moses had finished speaking with them, that is, after God's word had searched their hearts, terrified them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, He would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. There's a lot going on there. And one of the reasons I was drawn to this passage is that it's, it's a story in the Bible that God saw fit to give us a Spirit-inspired commentary on in the New Testament. See, we have a benefit that the Israelites did not have. We have the ability to look back on the cross. We have the ability to read what Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says about this passage, this event that happened. It's otherwise very strange to try to interpret what is happening here. And so we look to 2 Corinthians 3 where Paul has dedicated an entire chapter to explaining how it is that we ought to interpret and apply this this event uh, today on this side of the cross. And Paul's conclusion, just to give you a spoiler, uh, spoiler alert, God's goal in exposing, God's goal in searching our hearts is ultimately transformation into the image of Christ. 
And so the third point is that God gives His Word to transform us, and we'll read in 2 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 3, and then I'm going to jump to verse 7 to the end. He's speaking to the church now. You are a letter of Christ. You are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Uh, For those uh, who are familiar, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33 prophesies, says, I will make a new covenant, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, this is the fulfillment that Paul is speaking of. He continues on, but if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones, whoa, whoa, what is he talking about here? He's talking about these tablets that Moses brings down from the mountain. So let's, let's keep that in mind. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones, that is the law written on stone tablets brought death because it can convict you of sin, but it could never deliver you from it. Let me say that again. The, the reason he's calling this a ministry of condemnation and death is that It could convict you of sin. The law, as we read God's law, it could convict me and say, oh, I'm guilty of that, I'm guilty of that, I'm guilty of that. But there was nothing to help us to obey it, to free us from it, to obey for us or to deliver us from that sin or that guilt. And so let me just back up one more time, read the verse. But into the ministry of death and the letters engraved on stones came with glory, that is Moses' shining face, so that the sons of Israel could not intently look at the face of Moses because of the glory on his face, fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Paul says that the glory of Moses' face, just like the law he mediated, was fading. It was a fading glory because it wasn't the end of the story. See, it's fading in comparison to the greater glory that would come later. There's another mediator, see, that the, the, the end of the story is not Moses with the law that convicts. The end of the story is Jesus, who comes as the mediator of a better word. He comes and says, uh, he is the mediator who is greater than Moses, who would come and not only preach the law, but keep it perfectly. And he could not only convict you of sin, but also deliver you from it, something that Moses just simply could not do. And so the Word of God exposes our sin. It searches our hearts. And you know what? If we, if we stopped at the law, that'd be it. It exposes our sin and leaves us naked and searched and just vulnerable to God. The miner going and excavating. But it doesn't leave us there. It says, in Christ, we are transformed into His image as we behold it, as we behold God, as we behold Christ in His Word. He doesn't leave us there. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, the law that exposes our sin and condemns us, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory, and how much more we ought to stand in awe of him. John 1.17 says all of this kind of more concisely in a sentence, which may be helpful. Uh, the law was given by Moses, it says. Grace and truth were realized through Christ Jesus. So let me say that again. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Christ Jesus. See, Jesus did what Moses could, and he gave us grace where the law could only leave us condemned. We'll finish 2 Corinthians 3. It says, For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory... 
how much more what remains is in glory. That is, the ministry of Christ and the Spirit, it's ongoing, it remains. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. He's saying that they weren't able to look intently at that which was fading away. That is, the, it's not the end of the story, it's Jesus. But their minds were hardened, for until that, this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Our ability to understand Scripture, he's saying, is the Word of God has spoken, but the ability to understand it comes through a faith in Christ. We'll continue reading. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lives over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, that is those who have turned to Christ, as the Israelites beheld Moses, so we behold Christ. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being, what's the word? Transformed. Transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Not condemned, but transformed. Paul says that when God speaks, he, as he does in Scripture, we ought to see a glorious transformation taking place in our hearts. As we read God's Word, we ought to see change and begin to look more and more like Christ as we read it. James 1, one more passage of Scripture to tie this together is James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, it says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. See, he's comparing the perfect law that gives freedom to the mirror the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So which man are you? As you look in the mirror of God's word, as you see and behold Christ, as you experience him exposing sin in your life, as you, as you pray, God, search me, know my heart, as you see your sin and God excavating even the deepest and most secret places of your life, does it result in change? Does it end in transformation into the image of Christ? Or, or like the other man, do we look in that mirror and, and walk away and forget? Walk away and pretend it didn't happen, step in the puddle of two inches of water and go, you know what, I'm just going to forget that ever happened and just walk away. If you sense the Spirit exposing sin in your life this morning, if you later in the week as you read God's Word, if you sense God exposing sin, He'll call to mind something. Maybe something you never thought of. Maybe something you didn't even know to go looking for. But as He exposes sin, maybe you need to take a walk. Just take a walk with God. Just talk with Him. Confess. Spend some time confessing sin, talking with God. Or or maybe for you, you 
sense that the Holy Spirit is teaching you to, to pray, God, search me, to pray that more often is such a key. God, search even the parts of me that I haven't even thought about. Search my heart, sift my thoughts, judge my passions. And if so, if you sense the Lord leading you in that way as you read his word, just know that he's doing it for the purpose of transformation, not condemnation. It's the better law that came, the better covenant that came in Jesus is that you do not long, no longer, you no longer stand condemned, but in Christ there is now no condemnation, right? Because he's doing it for the purpose of transformation into the image of Christ, not merely for a surface cleaning, to come to church, to do better, to try harder, to smile more. He's doing it for transformation. So let me pray for us. Father, we just ask in the name of Jesus that you would in fact search our hearts. God, our minds so easily wander. Our passions so easily drive us. And so often, Lord, they drive us into sin. God, we pray that you'd help us to take pause as we stand in awe of Christ and as you reveal him in your word that the word that you've spoken in him, God, would penetrate our hearts, would open our eyes, give us wisdom, Lord, to see those remote areas where we've been hiding or even those areas, God, that are just so deep within us that we haven't even begun to examine. God, we pray that you would search us out, that you would expose our sin and that you would transform us, God, into the image of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.